Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 15 of the Mind Body Mastery Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Michaels, and thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for being here with me once again today. Um, I've been just so amazed and awed and grateful for all of the feedback that I've been getting so far. Um, It's been really, really beautiful to see this podcast um, kind of blossom and seeing people kind of um, chiming in and asking more questions for topics on the podcast. And so if you wrote in with a question, thank you. I'm like definitely going to try to get to all of them um, in time. And uh, But before we get into today's episode, I want to uh, read the review of the week. You know I love these iTunes reviews, and we've gotten several in this week, which I'm so grateful for. Um, the reviews are how we get um, into more listeners' ears, so thank you guys so much for taking the time to do that. Um, I want to read all of them, but I'm going to just pick one, and uh, and I'll try to read all of them eventually. Um, but this one today comes from a user named Foxface with a cute little fox emoji in the middle. Gosh, I didn't know you could do that. I want to change my iTunes name to all emojis. Um, this review says, thank you. I want to thank you so much for doing this podcast. My eyes and heart were open to Sarno and TMS last year, and what a ride it has been. Your podcast has rephrased his teachings in ways that I can relate to better. The success stories and interviews have been truly inspirational. Your encouraging words have lifted me up during a recent flare-up slash opportunity to learn. I love that. And your heart and passion and soothing voice and humor have all been like a cold glass of water after a long day's work in the hot sun. So the most I can say is thank you. Oh my gosh, that makes me want to like cry. Thank you so much, Foxface. Um, and thank all of you for your reviews and your kind words. And if you wrote in with an email, like asking a question to have on the show, I definitely will try to get to all of them. Um, I was going to do like a couple different questions today, um, but there was one that came through last week that just kept kind of ringing in my ears. And so um, I felt called to do this one first. So if I didn't get your question yet, I apologize. It's on my list. Um, And this one, I'll just read the question real quick. Hi, Caitlin. Uh, My TMS pain is gone, but I am finding myself obsessed with my weight. So part of what I needed to do uh, when I was healing was to go easier on myself and not demand perfection. I also found that I soothe myself from pain with foods I never used to let myself eat. Well, my pain may be gone, but it's replaced with five pounds that I'm almost afraid to lose because that would require me to go back to the self-discipline that got me here. My therapist says this is very common for all of her female patients. I know from the very brief conversation we had that you have information and perspective on this and that I would love to hear. What do you think? And so, yes, this is a subject that is near and dear to my heart. I spent most of my adult and childhood life um, being so hard on myself for my weight and uh, just hating my body in every sense of the word. I um, remember going on my first diet when I was in sixth grade and... um, 
asking for pork rinds in my Easter basket because this particular diet was the uh, Atkins diet. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I, I I feel you on this, and um, it is something that I worked really hard to not obsess over. And I can honestly say I'm finally in a place where I give less of a hoot about my weight. It's still not um, completely um, out of my mind. And sometimes I'll fall back into like, oh, I should uh, go on a cleanse to lose five pounds before this vacation I go on or whatever. Um, And I have to then sit down with myself and ask me, you know, ask myself what I'm feeling and kind of work through it on a more mind body way now. Um, but, um, one thing that I'll say, and this is probably not a very like TMS related, um, answer for you is I recommend throwing your scale away. That freaking piece of metal does more harm than we could ever know as a society. And if you're a female or a male listening to this today and you step on that scale every single day, tell me, how do you feel when you step off of it and it's five pounds or 10 pounds heavier than you'd like? How does that set up your day? Um, I know when I had a scale, I would step on it three, four, five, six times a day, especially after I would purge or have a bowel movement. I would be like, oh, maybe I'm lighter now. And it was an obsession. And it made me feel like crap every time I stepped on. And it determined my self-worth. And it made me obsess over what could I do to get rid of these extra pounds. And for me, that ended up being, I need to throw up more, you know, for 10 years of my life. It was like, I'd step on that scale and I would immediately go grab a large glass of water. And so I could rustle up whatever was left in my stomach from the previous purge session. So it was uh, terrible for me. And the best thing I ever, 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 ever did was not own a scale. Um, and I know that might not be the answer that you're looking for, but I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why I believe that that might be something that will help you greatly. So first thing, that number on the scale is not at all accurate. It's not an accurate representation of, of what's going on in your body. Like the extra five pounds doesn't mean you have five extra pounds of fat and maybe you're shaking your head and saying, oh, I can feel the pooch in my belly or whatever. Stop, stop. So that number, you're allowing it to dictate your life. And so I'm going to read you a quote from a book called Body Respect by Dr. Linda Bacon. And she discusses why these weight fluctuations occur and why that number on the scale is not an accurate representation of your health. And so she says, your body's biggest component is water, about 60% of your weight. Physically, you're like a big water balloon, five quarts of blood and 40 quarts of other fluids. 
In a given day, your weight can fluctuate by several pounds, primarily due to changes in body water. Considering this, you can see that your scale has limitations. The scale is not an effective way to measure substantive weight change. If you doubt this, try eating some salty foods. Tortilla chips and dip will do. You'll get thirsty, retain water, and show more pounds on the scale. So from the perspective of substantive weight, those day-to-day changes on a scale or the quick, dramatic, short-term weight loss that comes from dieting are relatively meaningless. In other words, sometimes weight loss is just dehydration. So this is why checking the scale daily and judging your self-worth based on that number is to me a form of self-harm and self-violence. If you do something every day that makes you feel like a failure, like you're just TMSing again about something else. So I think the easiest way to stop that obsession is to get rid of the measuring stick by which you measure your self-worth. The second reason I would get rid of it is because it's, a hunk of metal that, or plastic or whatever that we are allowing to dictate how we feel about yourself or ourselves. It is just another reason to measure your self-worth on something external and something that is largely out of your control and something that is affected by your stress hormones. So you're stepping on the scale, seeing that extra five pounds, and then feeling stress over it. And what am I going to do? Am I going to, I'm going to bring that, take that food out of my diet again, or will that bring on the pain? So you're now stuck in a fear cycle about that number. So getting rid of the scale, I think would be a great way to not obsess about that number. The third reason why I think it's important to get rid of the scale and stop measuring yourself that way is because it's not necessarily the food that's the issue. It's largely our thoughts and our feelings and our beliefs about the food. So if we grab a certain food and we think, oh, this is gonna make me fat, then your brain is literally being programmed by your thoughts about the food to release less ghrelin, which is the hunger hormone. I learned about this first through um, the Like Mind, Like Body podcast. They had a Dr. Aaliyah Crum on the show, um, but she has a TED Talk that she did about this subject that I'll play for you now. Um, But I just want to say that the number that you see on the freaking scale is literally a representation of the gravitational force of the earth on your personal sack of bones, blood, and fluids. And at the end of the day, when you think about your legacy on this planet, do you think that you'll be remembered for your body and what it looked like? Or do you want to be remembered for who you were as a human being? You are worthy of love and belonging no matter what. And when you allow that hunk of metal in your bathroom to dictate your self-worth, you are yet again allowing it to take away your power. While at the same time, you're allowing a stream of stress hormones to course through your body, making sure that that five pounds stays on either way. So I say 
donate the darn scale and live each day based on how you feel inside. Measure yourself based on the number of things you feel grateful for or the number of times you tell your family that you love them or the number of good deeds you do on this earth. It doesn't matter. Like you're that nobody but you is obsessing over your weight. And I'm sure to any outside observer of anybody, anybody, anybody that feels fat, like I bet you nobody is thinking that about you. I love seeing body positive women who are in a bikini and they're overweight and they're confident and maybe not fully confident on the inside, but they're confident on the outside. And that brings me joy to see that. And I see them as gorgeous. I see anybody who loves themselves as gorgeous. And I think you're gorgeous too. So I'm going to play this clip from Dr. Aliyah Crum. Um, She did a TED Talk um, about this subject. And this is what they talk about on Like Mind and Like Body. Um, And so if you want to check out that episode, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, But it's, it's called, Here's Why Your Diet Isn't Working According to Science. And so, like I said, I'll put that in the show notes. Um, but without further ado, here is Dr. Aliyah Crum. So today I'm going to talk about how our mindsets matter in virtually every facet of our lives. But I want to begin by telling a story about a group of researchers in Italy. Dr. Fabrizio Benedetti and his colleagues studied a a group of patients undergoing thoracic surgery. Now, what you should know about thoracic surgery is that it's a very invasive procedure. Patients are put under anesthesia while the surgeons make major incisions into the muscles of the sides and the back in order to gain access to their heart and to their lungs. Now, about an hour after the anesthesia fades away, the pain starts to set in. Fortunately, patients are given strong doses of morphine sulfate, a powerful painkiller. This is routine treatment for thoracic surgery, but Dr. Benedetti and his colleagues made a few subtle tweaks. Half of the patients were given the dose of morphine by a doctor at their bedside. The other half was given the exact same dose of morphine, but it was administered into their IV by a pre-programmed pump. Now, you would think that both of these groups of patients would experience the same relief, but this was not the case. The group that received the morphine by the doctor reported significant reductions in their pain levels. The other group, the group who received the same exact amount of morphine but wasn't aware of it, they didn't seem to experience the same benefit. So Dr. Benedetti and his colleagues didn't stop there. They used the same procedure to test the effectiveness of other treatments, treatments for anxiety, treatments for Parkinson's disease, treatments for hypertension. And what they found was remarkable and consistent. 
When the patients were aware of the treatment and expected to receive the benefit, the, the treatment was highly effective. But when they weren't, that same drug, that same pill, and that same procedure was blunted, and in some cases, not even effective at all. So I read about these studies when I was a student at Harvard University, and at the time, I was heavily immersed into the literature on the placebo effect. And the more I read, the more I started thinking about the true nature of placebos. So what, what is the placebo effect really? Well, most people discount the placebo effect as just some magical response to some fake pill or some faux procedure. But that's not what the placebo effect is. The placebo effect is not about the faux, the faux pill or the sugar pill or the fake procedure. What the placebo effect really is, is a powerful, robust, and consistent demonstration of the ability of our mindsets, in this case, the expectation to heal, to recruit healing properties in the body. So what is a mindset? A mindset is quite literally a setting of the mind. It's a lens or a frame of mind through which we view the world, we simplify the infinite number of potential interpretations at any given moment. Now, the ability to simplify our world through our mindsets is a natural part of being human. But what I want to suggest to you today is that these mindsets are not inconsequential. And instead, they play a dramatic role in determining our health and our well-being. So while I was at Harvard, I had the opportunity to work with Professor Ellen Langer. She's a professor, a psychologist, and when she heard that I was also a Division I athlete, laughed at me. She said, you know, exercise is just a placebo, right? Now, I was kind of offended because at the time I had been spending up to four hours a day training my body to be in optimal shape. But she did get me thinking about mindsets and how they might matter outside of medical walls. Was I getting fitter and stronger because of the time and the energy that I was putting into my training? Or was I getting fitter and stronger because I believed that I would? What about the other extreme? What if people were getting an extraordinary amount of exercise but weren't aware of it? Would they not receive the same benefit? We decided to test this, and to test this, we found a really unique group of women, a group of 84 hotel housekeepers working in seven different hotels across the U.S. So these women, these women are on their feet all day long. They're using a variety of muscles, and they're burning an extraordinary amount of calories just doing their job. But what's interesting is that these women don't seem to view their work in this light. We asked them, we said, do you exercise regularly? And two-thirds said no. So we said, okay, well, so on a scale of zero to 10, how much exercise do you get? And a third of them said zero. I get no exercise at all. So we wondered, what would happen if we could change their mindset? So we took these women, we split them into two groups. We measured them on a variety of things, including their weight, their blood pressure, their body fat, their satisfaction with their job. And then we took half of them and we gave them a simple 15-minute presentation. 
we gave them this poster and we said, you know, your work is good exercise. It satisfies the Surgeon General's requirements, which are quite simply to accumulate about 30 minutes of moderate physical activity. You should expect to receive those benefits. 15 minutes. We came back four weeks later and we measured them again. Not surprisingly, the, groups that didn't, the group that didn't receive this information didn't change. But those that did looked different. They dropped weight. They had a significant reduction in systolic blood pressure. They dropped body fat. And they reported liking their job more. So, so what does this tell us? Well, to me, it was fascinating that just as a result of a simple 15-minute presentation, the whole game changed, producing a cascade of effects on both their health and their well-being, presumably without even changing behavior. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, how do you know they didn't change their behavior, right? Because that, that must have been what produced the effects. Well, we know they didn't work anymore. And the room attendants themselves assured us that they didn't join the sports club down the street. But of course, we can't know for sure if they weren't, you know, putting a little more oomph into their making the beds. So this question really plagued me. Is there a direct, immediate connection between our mindsets and our bodies? So to test this, I worked with my colleagues at Yale, Kelly Brownell, Will Corvin, and Peter Salovey, and we did so by making a big batch of milkshakes. So we made this big batch of milkshakes, and then we invited people to come to our lab to try the milkshakes, and in exchange, we would give them $75. Sounds great, right? <laughs> well, the less appealing aspect of the agreement was that while, we were, uh, while they were drinking the shakes, we had them hooked up to an IV so we could get their blood samples. We were out to measure ghrelin. Ghrelin is a peptide that's secreted in the gut. The medical experts call this the hunger hormone. So when we haven't eaten in a while, our ghrelin levels start to rise, signaling to the brain it's time to seek out food and slowing our metabolism to, you know, just in case we don't find that food. Now, say we go out, we find and we devour a milkshake, a hamburger, some french fries, our ghrelin levels drop, signaling to our brain, time to stop eating, and revving up the metabolism so we can burn the food that was just consumed. So the participants came in, we hooked them up to an IV, and then we gave them a milkshake, sense a shake. This is 0% fat, 140 calories, zero added sugar. This is guilt-free satisfaction. So they drank this shake, and in response, their ghrelin levels dropped, but only very slightly, signaling to the brain that some food had been consumed, but not a whole lot. So a week later, they came back to our lab, we hooked them up to an IV again, and we gave them this shake. Six hundred and twenty calories, thirty grams of fat, fifty-six grams of sugar. Now this, this is decadence you deserve. <laughs> and in response to this shake, their ghrelin levels dropped again, 
but this time at a significantly steeper rate, about three times more than the shake they had before. Now, this would make good sense to any metabolic nutritionist who understands that the drop in ghrelin is proportional to the amount of calories consumed. But there was a catch. In this study, even though the participants thought they had consumed the sensible shake and the indulgent shake, in reality, we gave them the exact same shake at both time points. So what does this tell us? Well, just as in the case when the same amount of morphine produced more or less of an effect depending on our awareness, and just as in the case when the same amount of exercise produced more or less of a benefit depending on how it was construed, here again, our mindsets proved to matter. In this case, suggesting it might not be just calories in and calories out, or the precise makeup of fats, nutrients, but what we believe, what we expect, what we think about the foods we eat that determines our body's response. So in light of this, it behooves us to consider our own lives. What are our mindsets? And how might we begin to shift them, to alter them, to have them be more beneficial. So though the, the context is different, the message is the same. Our mindsets matter. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that medicine doesn't work, or that there are no benefits of exercise, or that what we eat doesn't matter. It does. But the psychological and physiological effect of anything in our lives can and is influenced by our mindset. So is the power of mindset limitless? Probably not. But what I hope I've done for you today is inspired you to reconsider where those limits really are. Because the true task ahead is to begin reclaiming this power for ourselves, to acknowledge the power of mindset, and know that just like this, in just the blink of an eye, we can change the game of any facet of our life quite simply by changing our mindset. Thank you. Nicole Sachs at her little seminar that she had in Chicago said, um, and she says this a lot, but I don't think it ever hit me quite so well, um, life is a choice between what hurts and what hurts worse. And for me, you know, not being the stick skinny person I always wanted to be, you know, might hurt a little bit. Um, but it doesn't hurt as bad as me obsessing over my food intake or my exercise or whatever. So I choose to let myself be a little floofy in order to not create a stress-based disease process further down the road. So so yeah, try the scale thing, see if that works. And uh, in short, just learn to love yourself more. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. I 
the person who wrote in, I like I I've met her in person. Gorgeous, gorgeous. So, um, you know, I think that a lot of times, you know, and we know this about other people. When we look at another person and they're confident and they have self-love, they're cor- they're gorgeous. You're gorgeous. And you are how you perceive yourself to be, you know? So if you feel fat today and you wear that on your face, then other people know that you're not confident, you know? So just embracing yourself for exactly who you are in this moment. Weight is always going to fluctuate. It's a fluid number that will fluctuate for your entire life. And so obsessing about that number um, does way more harm than good, in my opinion. So... Um, so yeah, so that is today's episode. I hope that answered your question and, um, and yeah, if you want to check out that like mind, like body episode, I will put it in the show notes and, uh, yeah, we've got some amazing interviews coming your way pretty soon here. Um, so I'm excited to bring you all of those. So stay tuned. I love you guys. And that's it for today. Bye. Do